All right, we're up and running. So uh, while we were waiting for that, we are going through some of these notes that, that Joy wrote up, all 14 pages plus, and uh, in the sermon that most people have listened to either here or on CD, this, this is an educational CD based on that because of the uh, response from that sermon. We had a lot of people wanting to listen to it again on CD, and then we, even from talking about it, since then, we've had people who don't even go to this church that are asking to have a CD sent to them, because like, what, what was that all about? Because they, they, they're hearing about this, and they want to know about it. So we're going to be sending a CD to at least one person that doesn't even go to this church, but because of hearing about it, they wanted to know uh, what it was all about. So now, on Wednesday, we can kind of go back over what the sermon was about and try to get into some of the things that, because of time on a Sunday morning, and on Sunday mornings you want more of a sermon type, and then this gives us the ability to go back and hit some of the things that I can't do that I would like to do just because of time. So... As I went through these notes that Joy did, I was very impressed with how she put it together. What's really important, and I, I think it was, it was laid out pretty good, was are there gaps in the Bible? Are there spaces of time that the Bible doesn't cover? And we hit you know, Malachi to Matthew. There was a 400 year, they call it the 400 silent years. And... That's a gap, that the Bible just doesn't talk about those 400 years. So does that mean they didn't exist? Absolutely not. They did. And then I, I was talking to Todd about that, and he threw in Jesus from age 12 up to age 30. All those teenage years, you know, we don't hear anything about that. There's nowhere in the Bible that tells us about that. So I put that in there. And then we went to Luke 4 and talked about Jesus getting up in the synagogue and he read out of Isaiah and he only read the first half, well he read verse 1, 61-1 of Isaiah. He read all of verse 1 and then in verse 2 he read half of it. The second half he didn't read. And you would think, well he should know what the second half of it was, why didn't he finish it? He sits down, everybody's staring at him and he says, this very day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. He couldn't say the second part of verse 2 because that we're still waiting for 2,000 years later. What they were seeing was the first advent. They were seeing Jesus on earth for a purpose. What the second part of that verse was is when he comes back the second time, way different than he came the first time. The first time he came, he came as a little baby in a manger peaceful as he could be, happened to be carried away from sure death if they would have stayed in Bethlehem. When he comes back, he's going to be way different than when he came the first time. So, he, so there's another gap in one verse of at least 2,000 years, and we don't know how much longer it's going to be. So I think that was really critical that we, that we talked about that. And we, we get into Scripture... It's so important to be able to understand Scripture. You have to be able to rightly divide the Word of Truth. You've got to be able to rightly divide it. Now, you get into Scripture, you, you might uh, go into studying your Bible devotionally, and you just read some verses. But, you know, it's good to zoom into things like that, but every now and then you've got to pan out, and you've got to see it as a whole. So going over this, there was a whole bunch of places in Scripture that I could see that points to a lot of things that I wanted to be able to cover. And it's just hard to do. It's really hard to do. You know, Michelle got mad at me. Too much information, right? She's like, Whoa. everybody learns differently. Some people don't want to get that in-depth in the Scriptures. Other people do. You can't make everybody happy. 
So, you know, some people want to come to church and just, you know, feel good about it. I came, I heard something encouraging, I'm motivated now to do something, whatever it might be, and then they leave. Well, we need to be more into the Word. We need to look into it a little deeper. We've got to get to a point where we are more bold and you don't get boldness unless you have the Holy Ghost inside of you. And you've got to know the Word. And if you have the Holy Ghost in you, you should want to know the Word. Or if you're really getting into the Word, you're going to figure out you need the Holy Ghost. And, and, it's going to, it's, and then we start to be fruitful. We actually do things for God. Alright, so I want to read a little bit out of the Word of God. This is uh, 1 Corinthians, because I, I don't want, I just want to make sure that we stay focused on what's really important and, and what we're doing here. All right, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ that has made a way for us to come to you. And Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that guides us and helps us to understand your word. And Father, as we come here tonight, we open up your word, we talk about things that we feel like you want us to know so that we are more able, more equipped to go out and to do what you have called us to do, to minister to those who are lost. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting with uh, verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize... This is the Apostle Paul talking to the Corinthian church. He's, he's written a letter to them. They, they needed it bad. Um, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So we've got to be careful not to get too into scientific this, that, and the other, and, and philosophies and all these things. We've got to be careful about that. Okay? For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world... By wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's all about Jesus, okay? This is about Christ. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. You read that, you can't help but seeing, you know, little David out there standing up against that giant. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom 
and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So God, God knew I needed that. Uh, just to remember, it's all about him. And, you know, I'm happy that people were excited about that message and wanted to do this. But it's not from, for me. It's not for my head to get big and, oh, I did so good and all that. That's, that's nonsense. I'm only able to do what I do because of what God has done, is wanting to do through me. And I've got to give the glory to him. And it just proves that he, he does use the weak things. <laughs> I mean, why would he use me? He does use the weak things. He, he does use the people who may not have the knowledge. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm fortunate. I've heard so many preachers over the years tell me, and these are the ones I, I really like, got, got uh, some good stuff from them, and they said, I had to forget a lot of what Bible college taught me. Those are the good preachers. And I, I, I have so many preachers talk about how it was a group of guys from the church, from different places, would go to Bible college together, and only one would make it through and actually become a minister. It would just ruin the other ones. They started losing their faith in the Word. They go to Bible college to get better at it, and they walked away in doubt. So I think Genesis 1, like I've, read, I've talked about last Sunday, if, the, if Satan can cause you to doubt Genesis chapter 1, if he can cause you to doubt the creation story, he can also get you to doubt the salvation story. So, we, we're gonna, we, we're, that's the reason we're talking about this. Like I said the other day, there's, there's people who will say it doesn't matter where you, what you believe on this issue as long as you get you know, salvation right, this, that, and the other. But I just explained why. Where, where do I get some of these thoughts. I mean, this is something, what I preached on was something that I have known and believed for many, many years. Many years. It's not, it, so it, it became troubling over time that there were so many people who were fighting against old earth, young earth. What has been found out through geology, science, in the age of the earth, there was a, a guy named, I think it's Usher, it's, it's U-S-S-H-E-R, and he was very famous back in the 1800s, and he put uh, dates on everything. He started researching the people of the Bible and the ages. The Bible is very detailed, and, and so-and-so was this how old, and then he begat so-and-so, and he lived another so many years, and, and you, can, you can do the math and follow it back, so he came up with all these dates when Abraham was here and, and how many years it was before that, before this, that, and the other. And he went all the way back to Adam and he was able to figure 4,004 B.C. 4,004 B.C. So people just got in their minds that that's when the earth was created. Well, that's when Adam was, was made. The Bible really doesn't say when the earth was created. Now... People will argue, what about Exodus 20, verse 11? So I always like to go back to what the, you know, the other side would say. They would bring up Exodus 20, 11. It says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, the word heaven, it's, it's one of those words that we were talking about earlier before the tape started. There are certain words in English that we just don't have. So, when you see heaven in the Bible, it could be referring to where the birds fly. Or, there's the second heaven, which is our solar system that the earth is in. Well, then there's a third heaven. Paul said that he went up to the third heaven. Wasn't sure if he was in body or just in spirit, but he was in the third heaven. 
So if there was a third heaven, according to Paul, that means there was a second and a first. When the Bible opens up, it is critical that it is singular, heaven, in verse 1. The Geneva Bible, it says heaven, not heavens. In the King James, and he, I think pretty sure, I don't know about the new, the new King James probably messes it up. I explained that in the first CD that the, the letters match up with the first verse and the last verse of the Bible. The very first and the very last, and it's even the same number of consonants and vowels. Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first letter and the last letter of, of their alphabet. He's the beginning and the end. So, I think that's a, just a picture. It's just a way of God knowing that it was going to be translated into English one day. Well, how did God know? How did he know it was going to be trans, translated into English one day? Did it surprise him that one day it got translated to English? I don't think anything surprises God. And he knew that, all right, one day they're going to translate it, and they're going to put chapters and verses, and this is what they're going to do. And, and he made sure... Why is it that there are verses that are so long and other verses like all the way down to two words? Why? Any, any thinking person would have said, well, let's balance this out. Let's try to balance it out a little better than that. I think there's a reason that there's chapters. I, I, I think there's a reason that when you get to uh, Samson, that that's going to be 13, chapter 13. Of judges. It just makes sense. He's so rebellious. And 13 is the number of rebellion. There's so many verses that 6-6 uh, six, six, and it's about man. And man's just so messed up. I mean, there's just so many places throughout the Word of God where even the numbers mean something that were not in the original at all of the Greek or the Hebrew in, in, the, in the Bible. So, all of that stuff, I think, is God had his hand on it and made it happen the way it happened. I also think that there are other versions of the Bible that God did not endorse, and men tried to improve on it. In the, in the 1880s, there was a group of people that came out, and they went to some corrupted text, and they, we got all these new translations or new versions now. And I think they messed them up. That's just my opinion. And over time, if you, if, I'll show you enough places where I think you'll be, you would be convinced that they messed up this. Here, here, and here. Okay, so before Darwin came along, people had this idea in their head that... 6,000 years ago, or you, you got to go back to the 1800s, so it was nowhere near 6,000 at that point, but, you know, 5,000 and some years. So they were thinking that that's when it all started. So when science started saying, oh, no, dinosaurs and this, that, and the other, all these saber-toothed tigers and these fossils that we found, none of that stuff is talked about in the Bible. Were they on the ark? Well, if you, we know the dimensions of the ark. We know how big the dinosaurs were by the fossils and the bones that were, have been reconstructed. There's no way there was two of every dinosaur on the ark. Now, Ken Ham in uh, Answers in Genesis, he, he will say, oh, yeah, there were, there were dinosaurs on there. One of these nights, we might get into going back and forth with him. I love him. I, I think it's great that he's built that replica and he's got the museum and all that stuff. I want to go there one day. It would be wonderful. But I have issues with some of the things that he teaches. And when you look at what he says in the scripture he reads, you can tell he's reading out of like the NIV. So there are certain words that are key to understanding where I'm coming from on this that if you don't have, if you're not comparing King James with NIV and other, other versions, you, you won't pick up on those things. Here, this, is, uh, this is called the Believer's 
Bible commentary. Todd was with me when I purchased this, and you want to guess where I got it? <laughs> I was impressed with the cover, and I heard somebody talking about it, and I saw it, and look at that. Isn't that beautiful? So the Believer's Bible Commentary, and this is, this is really not that old. I usually, you know, I got to buy stuff from guys that have been dead for a really long time, people who go by their first two initials, and they do their scripture reading from the authorized version, King James Version. I really like those guys better than a lot of the others. Okay, this is what the Believer's Bible Commentary says about verse 2 of Genesis chapter 1. Let's see here. I might as well read 1.1. In the beginning, God, these first four words of the Bible form the foundation for faith. Believe these words and you can believe all that follows in the Bible. Genesis provides the only authoritative account of creation, meaningful for people of all ages, but exhaustible by no one. The divine record assumes the existence of God rather than seeking to prove it. The Bible has a special name for those who choose to deny the fact of God. That name is fool. And you can get that out of Psalm 14.1 and 53.1, both out of Psalms. Just as the Bible begins with God, so he should be first in our lives. Okay? Very important lesson to learn. All right, here's verse 2. One of several conservative interpretations of the Genesis account of creation. Listen to this. The creation-reconstruction view. I kind of like that. Now, we've been talking about gap theory, and I, I was talking about how people get real offended over gap theory theory. Well, you've got to know what the definition is. So when you look up gap theory and try to find a, a solid single definition, you're going to find multiple. So gap theory, the bad one, is that people say, well, uh, just to kind of account for all the geological ages and all of that, we're going we're to adopt that thought so that we can, we can kind of go along and agree with science. That's not where I'm coming from. We don't know how long. We, just, we don't know the distance, and we don't care about all those ages. <laughs> we want to get back to uh, preaching the gospel to people. That's what we really want to do. We don't need to spend all of our time trying to figure all those things out. You know, I was talking to Betty... Uh, about some of these things, you know, the gaps and this, that, and the other, and, sh and she was going, you know what, if all those gaps were filled in in the Bible, you'd have to have a big old dolly and, and your Bible. You'd have to have somebody help you pick your Bible up and set it on there so you can roll it into church with you, right? I mean, it would just be so big. Okay. Um, all right, so the creation dash reconstruction view says that between verses 1 and 2 a great catastrophe occurred perhaps the fall of Satan I hadn't even read it out of this before I just went and you know and, and all right let me see what my new commentary says this is fairly new um, and then it's got in parentheses see Ezekiel 28 11 through 19 would we read this a couple Sundays ago that's what we read. That was the last, I think it was the last thing I read. It's what Addison missed. She, you know, she could have come to me and said, what was that last verse? But I'm glad she asked for a CD. All right. This caused God's original perfect creation to become without form and void. Since God didn't create the earth waste and empty, see Isaiah 45, 18. I read that. Only a mighty cataclysmic cataclysm could, if I say something wrong, I'm sorry, could explain the chaotic condition of verse 2. Proponents of this view point out that the word translated was 
could also be translated had become. Thus the earth had become waste and empty. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, preparatory to the great creative and reconstructive acts to follow. The remaining verses describe the six days of creation and reconstruction which prepared the earth for human habitation. Okay, so back to that uh, Exodus 20.11. It says heaven, singular, just like the first verse of the Bible says heaven, singular, if you have a King James. Okay, in Genesis uh, 2, it talks about after the six days of creation, it says, then it says, and the, the heavens and the earth. Okay, it, it's, it's, so the Bible actually says heavens later, so why didn't it say it in the very beginning? Because it was talking about one of the heavens. It's just focusing in, I think, on the solar system that the earth is in. That heaven. In the beginning, that heaven and earth was created, period. And, who knows how long that and is, then God revisits the earth after something catastrophic had happened between verse 1 and 3, and it's in this horrible state. So, when you go to Exodus 20, for in six days... God made. It says made, right? He fixed. He didn't create it all over again. He fixed what was there. He, he formed it out of formlessness and void and darkness. So that's talking about the atmosphere where the birds fly. That heaven in, in 2011 of Exodus. Okay? Does that make sense? And then in Genesis 2, when it talks about the heavens, it's talking about the solar system and the atmosphere because the waters were separated from the waters and now there's an atmosphere that, that is, is, you can see now. And they say just as much water is in the atmosphere, above our atmosphere, that is in the oceans. It's like it got separated, you know, split. But it's in vapor form. Up, up there. Evaporated by the sun when we, as fallen Creatures were formless and void and darkness. It's, it's just darkness. But when the sun, the sun of righteousness evaporates, that we go from a carnal, physical person to a spiritual person separated from all the ones who don't believe. The water down here finds its lowest point. But we have become the water that's up there. See, it's separation. When, when you believe on the Word of God, you believe what Christ did for you on the cross, and you truly believe and you're born again, you're separated from the others. You're separated. There are people who don't believe and people who do. If you're not a true believer, you're walking around in the flesh, you're very physical, you will go to the lowest point. You're just, naturally, you're going to keep going to the lowest point. But when you have been evaporated by the Son of Righteousness and you are a, a spiritual, then you're going to be up above all that. That's, that's next, this coming Sunday's sermon, but I don't know if that will happen. You know, pray for the snow to stay away until 1. <laughs> but that, we're, we're, we're going to get into the days and how it matches up with us. It's, it's just cool as it could be. Okay, so there's a commentary. Bibles, no, believers, Bible commentary. Make sure you have a table in front of you if you're reading this. <laughs> I need to read something else up with the left hand just to get a balanced workout. All right, now we have some other, the, uh, the Jewish Midrash. Daniel Lappin talked about the, the something Midrash. He said his dad made him go there. And it's where scholars and people who are really into the Hebrew and wanting to know the Word of God, and he said they come together and they, what did he say, 10 hours. 10 hours of studying God's Word. Go past 30 minutes in a church service, it's like 10 hours. 
But that, this, is, this is another form. This is the Jewish Midrash. I'm trying to say it like he did. God, I really don't know how you pronounce it. But Midrash, he, it sounded like he said Midrash. Uh, that, that writing was, it originated after, after the Babylonian captivity, which was over 500 years before Christ. A copy of it was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. You know, when they found all the Dead Sea Scrolls, a copy of that was found. Okay? When you look at that, those writings, and you go back to the very beginning of Scripture, in those writings, it said that before Adam, there was some type of a, a catastrophe affecting the whole earth. Okay? That's way, way before Darwin. Way before the evolution talk, right? Then, the Aramaic Old Testament. It says, and the earth was laid waste. Charles Spurgeon. Now, there's a whole bunch of other ones that you know I could talk about. A bunch of people you may know who they are, may not. But most people know C.H. Spurgeon. All right, in 1855, this was, I'm pretty sure, four years, yeah, four years before Darwin's Origin of the Species came out. Four years before. Charles Spurgeon said, this is, this is uh, out of a sermon that was titled, The Power of the Holy Ghost. This is, what, this is, this is directly out of that sermon. Charles Spurgeon speaking. We know not how remote the creation of this earth may be. Certainly millions of years before the time of Adam. Our planet has passed through various stages of existence and different kinds of creatures have lived on its surface, all of which have been fashioned by God. But before that era came, wherein man should be its principal tenant and monarch, the Creator gave up the world to confusion. He allowed the inward fires to burn up from beneath and melt all the solid matter so that all kinds of substances were commingled in one vast, massive disorder. That's why the Bible says that it was formless. So, you know, the volcanoes and all, you know, that's it, it, what he's saying. That, that's how he sees it. By reading the Scripture, he can see where everything was just to such a temperature that everything just kind of molted. It was like molten and just no form. And I never thought of that before, but that's what Spurgeon said in that sermon. Now, it, this is uh, just a little remark here. Answers in Genesis published this sermon on its website, but deleted the above remarks that revealed Spurgeon's support for this gap after several people noticed, it became a point of public embarrassment, and they restored the edited section. All right, talked about uh, knowing the ages, the how long, you know, Usher, Usher, or whatever his name is, and he did all the chrono chronological stuff in, in the Word of God, so you got to realize that nobody had any reason to question the 4004 B.C. date for Adam until Darwin. So when you get to the mid-1800s, all of a sudden there's this issue starts to come up. And this issue, a lot of preachers didn't know how to handle it. They never really thought about it. Didn't need to think about it. So... What happens when somebody really don't know, they, they, you, you're not well-grounded in the Scriptures, say you went to Bible college and they just messed you up. If you're not very grounded in the Scriptures, look at how many things in life where you see one extreme is battled by another extreme to try to bring everybody back to the middle. It, it's just, that's just the way it is. People will purposely leave out certain things just to try to prove their point, and both of them are wrong. That's 
why we have so many different denominations of the Protestant Reformed religion that we are a part of. We can't get along over silly things. I mean silly things. <laughs> back when Christian radio first started, way back, there's a verse in the Bible talking about the devil being the prince of the air. And they said, oh, that's of the devil. Because it's over the airwaves. And the devil's the prince of the air. And radio is satanic. And you and all right, another denomination. There are denominations that if Dan played his guitar, you're gone. You know, you're out of here. I mean, silly stuff. You go to a different church, you know, music. You got the old hymns. Then you go and you hear contemporary music in the church, and people freak out. But it's awesome music that's praising God. I'm glad we mix it up a little bit here. So that was just something else that started to divide. So you have the earth is ancient. It's been here for billions and billions. We don't know. Okay, to, con to combat that, no, no, the earth is young. It's only 6,000 years old. I don't care how old it is. And if, if, if earth is 6,000 and 100 years. Maybe it was 100 years before. That was just a 100-year gap. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't bother me one way or the other. I don't care how old it is. Because if, if God wants to create the earth and he wants it to show age, he can do it. When Adam was formed out of the earth, did he have an appearance of age? He wasn't a little baby. He was a grown man. So he was, when he was one second old, he wasn't, you know, hold, let's hold little Adam and feed him. And, no, he, he, was he 30? He had the appearance of maybe being 30. So if God wanted the earth to have the appearance of being one billion years old, he could do it. I don't have a problem with any of that stuff. But what I believe is, yeah, the earth was created way, way back sometime, <laughs> and all those other things that happened. And I think, I think uh, Ezekiel 28 is probably the most convincing, talking to the prince of Tyre, then the king, and then it's obviously talking about Satan. Now, in Isaiah, the other uh, place that I was in, um, that is up, a little more controversy there. But again, it's Isaiah 14, verses 9 through 17, that's the king of Babylon, talking about the king of Babylon. Well, in the King James and the Geneva and even the new King James, it says, O Lucifer, there. And I think it's verse 12, 14, 12, O Lucifer. All other versions say day star. You know, it says something else. And it says, and they say that it carries all the way through uh, Nebuchadnezzar, basically, the king of Babylon, because he made himself to be a god. And everything that he did resembled really what Satan did. So anytime you see prophecy, well, I don't see it everywhere, but I'm just, chances are it's like that every prophecy. I just don't see it, but there's so many places where when you see prophecy, the prophet reminds them of something that happened a long time ago and what's happening right now, and then it's something that's going to happen in the future. Almost every time. Just like creation, destruction, and fixing it all. We, as lost, we knew how the Jewish people had, we were talking about it, um, might have been Christmas Eve service, we are talking about how Joseph and Mary were the, the marriage was arranged. That's the beginning part of it. You're in, in uh, like an engagement period, but then there was that betrothal period, and one day the consummation of the marriage. I feel like we as Christians, we were predestined to be married to Jesus Christ one day, to be the bride of Christ. We were predestined. 
And then when we become saved, we're in that betrothal period. We're not quite the bride of Christ yet, but it's a done deal. We can't get out of it unless he was to give us a bill of divorcement. He's not going to do that. I think that our Christian life is that betrothal period where legally we are married to him. And then when we go to be with him, that's when we truly become the bride of Christ. See it? Past, present, future. So, no one, back in the mid-1800s, no one really had an issue one way or the other. And then they got into all this crazy stuff to try to make sense of it all. You know, when the notes that Joy did, she, she put in there date age, it's day age theory. Not date age, but it's day age theory. And that's where, you know, a thousand years like a day, a day like a thousand years. And they try to say, well, day one was really, you know, a billion years. No. <laughs> they were six 24-hour days that completed it all. The reconstruction of it. And then there's revelation theory, which Moses wrote all this, and God just told him about what happened. You know, this, this happened over a billion years, but you just put it in there real simple, like, you know, that's total nonsense as well. Questions? Anybody have any questions? Did I cover? Did I cover it better as far as you know? Work. There's there's a whole bunch of other people who have that belief. Uh, a. W. Pink, Arthur Pink. I bought a book. I shouldn't say that on CD. I bought a, one of his books, <clears throat> and that's going to be a good sermon one day when I after I read that one. The guys on the Duck Dynasty podcast, well, the Unashamed podcast, they were talking about the seven things Christ said from the cross. And that's what that book's about. Seven things that Christ said when he was on the cross. Seven different times he spoke. Um, again, another guy had been dead for a really long time. But he believed, and he goes by A.W., a. I think it's A.W. Peak. He believed that, the same thing what I'm teaching right here. He believed that. There's all kinds of people from way back. Matthew Henry, if you go to his big set of, of uh, commentaries, not the, little, not the one that's condensed down into one book, but you go to that one and it talks about the, the earth being, being uh, gone through some type of chaotic event. So there's all kinds of things that I've, I can go back and reference to, that goes along with this. Anybody have any questions? Do you think the devil was kicked out of heaven before God created earth? All right, so the fixed, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so when you, yeah, so that's what we talked about in, in Ezekiel. So the question was did, did Satan get kicked out? So he was Lucifer which you don't know his name was Lucifer unless you have a King James Bible or a Geneva Bible. Uh, Lucifer is lost in all the other versions. So Lucifer, he was, according to Ezekiel 28, he was in the garden of God with all those jewels, and he could sing. He, he had the tambrets and the, and the uh, vials, or you know, just description of him was like amazing. And it says that you were perfect in the day that thou was created. And you were, you were perfect all the way up until iniquity was found in your heart. So his, his, uh, his sin was in trafficking and merchandise. Read it real close. Talk about in trafficking and merchandising. We still have trafficking going on today Drug trafficking, human trafficking, 
I think Satan was in that business back then as an angel. Not a, it, I don't think he was really an angel. He was a cherub. Again, cherub. Here's another really good thing. All right, you say cherub, and you think of this little baby with wings. The Word of God does not teach that at all. Actually, there are no angel in the Bible where it ever says they have wings. They might. I don't know. But the Bible doesn't teach us that an angel has wings. The only reason that you would come up with that thought is in Revelation, it talks about an angel flying through. Well, think about when the Bible was written. How could you fly? Only if you had wings. Right, we talk about it in Sunday school. So, that's why we have a picture of angels with wings. I don't think angels have wings. Cherubim have wings. Seraphim. There's all kinds of winged creatures. I think Lucifer was a cherub. He probably had wings. He had a face of an ox. And he was considered beautiful and magnificent. He had the face of an ox. And you get that out of Ezekiel 10 and 1. you gotta, you got to pan out and see all of Ezekiel as a whole, and you can come up with that conclusion, which makes perfect sense why the children of Israel broke off the golden rings, they melted them down, and they created, they molded golden calves to worship. Satan wants to be worshipped in the image that he used to be. He lost it. So yes, sometime between... Verse 3, when God's recreating the earth, fixing it, and back to verse 1, sometime in that, between 1 and 2, Satan, along with a third of the angels, were, were kicked out. They were down here, I think, on earth. The, it was called Eden then. And then they, he decided to ascend up to the mountain of God. He wanted to be like the Most High, and he was kicked out for that. And I think that's what caused destruction in the universe, not just the earth, but the universe and earth especially. That's probably what happened with all of that. So yeah, how long before? So he used to be in charge of Eden. Later, God fixes everything. Satan's a spirit. He sees this mortal man. I mean... I don't know, maybe it wasn't mortal, because if, he, if he'd never sinned, he would have lived forever. He had the tree of life. So he sees this made a little lower than the angels. Who is that in my place? And then God made Eve out of Adam, and Satan's going, how do I get to that? He's a spirit. He can show up. He, maybe he did. Maybe he came to him and, and he's stomping and fussing, and they just have no idea he's there. Because he's a spirit. So he's looking around. And he goes, ah, that beast right there. So he got into the beast, used the beast to walk up to Eve, used the vocal cords of the beast, and spoke to her in a language she would understand. Did God really say? Doubt from the very beginning. Just cause a little bit of doubt. And he tricked her. You know, people say Adam was the first, you know, the first in sin. You know, sin came in the world by one man, Adam. Eve sinned before he did. But he was the first man. Adam sinned for allowing that to happen, I think. But who sinned before them? Lucifer sinned before humans did. And there's, I would look up the scriptures... And I'll show you where he was the first murderer. He was the first one who did wrong. Any other questions? That's a good one. I love questions. You give me one question, I, I can make this thing another 30 minutes easy. I was watching something last night. I started watching, you can now see the second series of um, The Chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can get it on your uh, phone, uh, I've seen one or two of those. I think down at Todd's house, I've seen shows. I've heard a lot about the, the yeah. series. And they were when it first come started, they had the apostles talking about things, 
and they were using uh, a lot of Hebrew words, mm -hmm. and they would, they would use English, and then they would tell you what they were in Hebrew. But I didn't have an ink pen, so I didn't write that. I couldn't have said them in or spelt them anyway. Yeah. But it was interesting. Yeah. yeah. All right. You got a question? You want to talk about the thing on Daniel laughing about the periodic table in oh, the 92, oh, oh, oh. 92 elements? Yeah. Say that again. Um, <clears throat> On the podcast with Daniel Lappin in it about um, there are ninety yeah there are ninety two elements which were what's the word created by God oh yeah they were created the elements were created there's ninety two of them on the periodic table uh, and every other everything in the universe is made from those ninety two elements and if you go back to the creation story make sure I'm getting it right and you find every unique word in the creation story. Not when they're doubled up. You know, like one, one word could be used several times. So the word be or and. Word. Yep. And you add up every unique word, there are 92. 92 words that were used in the creation story, and there's 92 elements in the periodic table. Make everything. Yeah. Takes 92 to make everything. Isn't that interesting? That's from the a Jewish guy that knows his Hebrew really well. All right. We went to uh, Hebrew class 10 hours a day for yeah. months on end. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. We'll, uh, we'll wrap it up with that. And hopefully uh, we'll have church on Sunday and we can do another Wednesday. And we get past this topic, we'll, we'll move on to something else. You know, it'd be, I think it would be a good, a good time to get into those types of things and that maybe you might have questions on. All right. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for these people who came out. And Father, I pray that you would be with each and every one of us, protect us. And Father, we are so thankful for uh, Kingdom Kids that's over, that is over in the fellowship hall right now. Father, I pray that you would continue to bless that. And Father, as we try to produce fruit for you, I pray that the Holy Spirit will go out and touch the hearts of others who need to be a part of us, need to be part of this community church. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.